0: Section 22. The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Sinner. Written by himself, by James Hogg. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I was once more humbled before this mighty potentate, and promised to be ruled wholly by his directions. Although at that moment my nature shrunk from the concessions, and my soul longed rather to be enclosed in the deeps of the sea, or involved once more in utter oblivion. I was like Daniel in the den of lions without his faith in divine support and wholly at their mercy i felt as one round whose body a deadly snake is twisted which continues to hold him in its fangs without injuring him further than in moving its scaly infernal folds with exulting delight to let its victim feel to whose power he has subjected himself And thus, did I for a space drag in existence from day to day, in utter weariness and helplessness. At one time worshipping with great fervor of spirit, and at other times, so wholly left to myself as to work all manner of vices and follies with greediness. In these, my enlightened friend never accompanied me, but I always observed that he was the first to lead me to every one of them, and then leave me in the lurch. The next day, after these my fallings off, he never failed to reprove me gently, blaming me for my venial transgressions. But then he had the art of reconciling all by reverting to my justified and infallible state which I found to prove a delightful healing salve for every sore. But, of all my troubles, this was the chief. I was every day and every hour assailed with accusations of deeds of which I was wholly ignorant, of acts of cruelty, injustice, defamation and deceit of pieces of business which I could not be made to comprehend, with lawsuits, details, arrestments of judgment, and a thousand interminable quibbles from the mouth of my loquacious and conceited attorney. So miserable was my life rendered by these continued attacks that I was often obliged to lock myself up for days together never seeing any person save my man Samuel Scrape, who was a very honest blunt fellow, a staunch Cameronian, but withal very little conversant in religious matters. He said he came from a place called Penpunt, which I thought a name so ludicrous that I called him by the name of his native village, an appellation of which he was very proud and answered everything with more civility and perspicuity when I denominated him Pen-Putt than Samuel, his own Christian name. Of this peasant was I obliged to make a companion on sundry occasions, and strange indeed were the details which he gave me concerning myself and the ideas of the country people concerning me. I took down a few of these in writing to put off the time, and here leave them on record to show how the best and greatest actions are misconstrued among sinful and ignorant men. You say, Samuel, that I hired you myself, that I have been a good enough master to you, and have paid you your weekly wages punctually. Now. How is it that you say this, knowing, as you do, that I never hired you, and never paid you a sixpence of wages in the whole course of my life, excepting this last month? Ye may as well say, master, that water's no water, or that stands or no stands. But that's just your gate, and it's a great pity ay to do a thing and profess the clean contraire. we we'll then, since you haven't a paid me own wages, and I can prove day and date when I was hired, and came hame to your service. Will you be so kind as to pay me now? That's the best way curin' a man of the mortal disease and leason makin' that I can owe. I should think that pen putt and Cameronian principles would not admit of a man taking twice payment for the same article. In sick a case as this, sir, it does na hinge upon principles, but a piece o good manners, and I can tell you that, at sick a crisis, a Cameronian is a gay and weel bred man. He's driven to this, and he maun either make a breach in his friend's good name, or in his purse. And oh, sir, "'wilka they think you is this most precious? For instance, an old Galloway drover had come to the town of Penpunt and said to a Cameronian, the folks a Cameronians there, sir, I want to buy your cow. Veer a will says the Cameronian, I just want to sell the cow. Say, gae me twenty puns Scots and take her a wee. It's a bargain. The drover takes away the cow, and gee's the Cameronian his twenty pun Scots. But after that, he meets him again on the white sands among all the drovers and dealers of the land, and the Galloway man he says to the Cameronian afore a tay witnesses, "Come, Master Wingham, I hae never paid you for a yon bit useless cow that I bought. I'll pay her the day." But you mon mind the lucky penny, there's muckle need for it, or something to that purpose. The Cameronian then turns out to be a civil man, and cannot bide to make the man bath the feel a liar at the same time afore his associates, and therefore he pits his principles aft at the side, to be kind a sleepin' partner as it wore, and brings up his good breeding to stand at the counter. He pockets the money, gives the Callaway a drover time a day, and comes his way. And ah, woes the blame. Man, mind yourself is the first commandment. A Cameronian's principles never came between him and his purse, nor Santa in the present case. For, as I cannot buy to make you out of Lear, I'll thank you for my wages. Well. You shall have them, Samuel, if you declare to me that I hired you myself in this same person, and bargained with you with this same tongue and voice with which I speak to you just now. That I do declare, unless ye hay twa person's the same appearance, and twa tongues to the same voice. But, ode say fuss, sir, do you ken what the old wives of the clanchant say about you? How should I, when no one repeats it to me? Oh, I trow it's a stuff. Folks shouldn't a heed what's said by old crazy Kimmers, but there are some o' them weel ken for witches too, and they say, Lord have a care o' us. They say the deals often seen gone sidey for sidey wi' ye, whiles in a ye shape, and whiles in another and they say that he wiles takes your ain shape, or else enters into you, and then you turn a deal yourself. I was so astounded at this terrible idea that I had gone abroad, regarding my fellowship with the Prince of Darkness, that I could make no answer to the fellow's information, but sat like one in a stupor, And if it had not been for my well-founded faith and conviction that I was a chosen and elected one before the world was made, I should at that moment have given in to the popular belief, and fallen into the sin of despondency. But I was preserved from such a fatal error by an inward and unseen supporter. Still, the insinuation was so like what I felt myself that I was greatly awed and confounded. The poor fellow observed this, and tried to do away the impression by some further sage remarks of his own. Hout, dear sir, it is balderdash. There's nae doubt o' it. It is the crown head of absurdity. To take in the havers of old wives for gospel. I told them that my master was a pious man, and a sensible man, and up for a prayin, that he could ding old Macmillan himself. Say he could the deal, they said, when he like it, either at preaching or praying, if these war to answer his ain ends. Nay, nay, says I, but he's a strict believer in all the truths of Christianity, my master. They said, Say was Satan, for that he was the firmest believer in all uh, the truths of Christianity that was out o' heaven, and that, sin the revolution that the gospel had turned, say, rife. He had been often driven to the shift of preaching it himself, for the purpose of getting some rang tenets introduced into it and thereby turning it into blasphemy and ridicule. I confess, to my shame, that I was so overcome by this jumble of nonsense that a chillness came over me, and, in spite of all my efforts to shake off the impression it had made, I fell into a faint. Samuel soon brought me to myself and after a deep draught of wine and water, I was greatly revived, and felt my spirit rise above the sphere of vulgar conceptions and the restrained views of unregenerated men. The shrewd but loquacious fellow, perceiving this, tried to make some amends for the pain he had occasioned to me by the following story, which I noted down, and which was brought on by a conversation to the following purport. Now, Penputt, you may tell me all that passed between you and the wives of the Clatchen. I am better of that stomach qualm with which I am sometimes seized, and shall be much amused by hearing the sentiments of noted witches regarding myself and my connections. Will ye see, sir? I says to them, it will be lang afore the deal intermiddle we a serious a professor, and as fervent a prayer as my master, for gin he gets the upper hand o' sicken men, was to be safe. And what think ye they said, sir? There was an Anne Lucky Shaw set up her lang-lantern chaffs, and answered me, and aye the rest shand and nodded in assent and approbation ye silly socialist Camperonian quiff she, is that a that ye ken about the wiles and doings of the prince of the air, that rules and works in the bairns of disobedience. Jin ever he observes a proud professor, what has may then ordinary pretensions to a divine calling, and that reards and prays till the very howlets learn his preambles. That's the man old Simmy fixes on to Mac a disclauto. He cannot get rest in hell, if he sees a man, or a set of men o' this stamp, and when he sets fairly to work, it is seldom that he does not bring them round till his ain measures by hook or by crook. Then oh, it is a grand prize for him, and a proud deal he is, when he gangs hame to his Anna Hay. We a batch o' the souls o' six strenuous professors on his back. Ay, I trow old Igleby, the Liverpool pack-man, never came up Glasgow Street with prouder pomp when he had ten horse lays afore him o' Flanders lace, and howlin' lawn, and silks and satins fray the eastern Indians, than Satan wade strodes into hell with a placate o' the souls o' proud professors on his braid shoulders ha 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 i think i see how the old thief wad be gone through his gizzen dominions crying his wares in derision why will buy a fresh caller divine a boozy bishop a fasting zealot or a piping priest for a their prayers and their praises their amuses and their penances their whinings their howlings their rantings and their ravings here they come at last. Behold the end. Here go the rare and precious wares. A fat professor for a bodle, and a lean ain't for half a murk. I declare I trembled at the old hog's ravings, but the lave the Kimmers applauded the sayings as sacred truths. And then Lucky went on. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing among us, my man money deals eneth the mask of zealous professors, roaming about in kirks and meeting-houses o'er the land. It was but the year afore the last that the people of the old town of Ochtermunchty grew so rigidly righteous that the meanest hind among them became a shining light in ither towns and parishes. There was not to be heard, neither night nor day, but preaching, praying, argumentation, And catchizing in the famous town of Osttermunchti. The young men wooed their sweethearts out of the song of Solomon, and the girls returned answers in strings of verses out of the psalms. At the lint swinglings they said questions round, and read chapters and sang hymns at bridles. Old and young prayed in their dreams, and prophesied in their sleep, till the deals in the fairest nooks o' hell were alarmed. And moved to commotion gin it hadna been an old Carl robin ruthven machery wad at the time had been ruined and lost forever but robin was a cunning man and had rather may wits than his ain for he had been in the hands of the fairies when he was young and a kinds of spirits were visible to his e'en, and their languages familiar to him as his ain mother tongue Robin was sitting on the side of the West Lomond, a still gloomy night in September, when he saw a bridle of Corby Crows coming east the lift, just on the edge of the glooming. The moment that Robin saw them, he kenned by their movements that they were crows of some nither world than his. So he signed himself and crept into the middle of his burrock. The Corby crows came in and sat down round about him, AND THEY POCKET THEIR BLACK SOOTY WINGS, AND SPREAD THEM OUT TO THE BREEZE TO COOL. AND ROBIN HEARD A CORBY SPEAKING, AND ANOTHER ANSWERING HIM, AND THE TAIN SAID TO THE TITHER, WHERE WILL THE RAVENS FIND A prey THE NIGHT, ON THE LEAN CRAZY SOULS OF OCHTER QUO THE TITHER. I FEAR THEY WILL BE O' REAL RABBIT UP IN THEIR WARM FLANNELS OF FAITH, and clouded we the dirty duds of repentance for us to make a meal, O Quo the First. What then vile sounds are these that I hear coming bumming up the hill? O, these are the hymns and praises, O, the old wives and greasy lounds of Austermunsty. We are gone crooning their way to heaven, and gin it warna for the shame of being beat, we might let our great enemy take em. For sick a prize as he will hay, heaven forsooth, what shall we think, O heaven, if it is to be filled, we vermin like they, a whom there is mere poverty and pollution than I can name, no matter for that, said the first, we cannot have our power set to defiance, though we should put them on the thief's hole, we must catch them and catch them with their own bait too. come all to church to-morrow and I'll let you hear how I'll gall the saints of Ostermunstie." In the meantime, there is a feast on the Sidlaw Hills tonight, below the hill of Macbeth. Mount Diabolus and Fly. Then, with loud croaking and crowing, the bridle of Corby's again scaled the dusky air and left Robin Ruthven in the middle of his cairn. The next day the congregation met in the kirk of Ostermunchty, but the minister made not his appearance. The elder ran out and in making inquiries, but they could learn nothing save that the minister was missing. They ordered the clerk to sing a part of the 119th Psalm until they saw if the minister would cast up. The clerk did as he was ordered, and by the time he reached the 77th verse, A strange divine entered the church by the western door and advanced solemnly up to the pulpit. The eyes of all the congregation were riveted on the sublime stranger who was clothed in a robe of black sackcloth that flowed all around him and trailed far behind. And they weaned him an angel come to exhort them in disguise. He read out his text from the prophecies of Ezekiel, which consisted of these singular words, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come, whose right it is, and I will give it him. From these words he preached such a sermon as never was heard by human ears, at least never by ears of Oster Munchti. It was a true, sterling gospel sermon. It was striking, sublime, and awful in the extreme. He finally made out the it, mentioned in the text, to mean, properly and positively, the notable town of Otstermunstie. He proved all the people in it to their perfect satisfaction to be in the gal of bitterness and bond of iniquity and he assured them that God would overturn them, their principles and professions, and that they should be no more until the devil, the town's greatest enemy, came, and then it should be given unto him for a prey. For it was his right, and to him it belonged, if there was not forthwith a radical change made in all their opinions and modes of worship. The inhabitants of Oxtermunstie were electrified, They were charmed. They were actually raving mad about the grand and sublime truths delivered to them by this eloquent and impressive preacher of Christianity. "'He is a prophet of the Lord,' said one, "'sent to warn us as Jonah was sent to the Ninevites. "'Oh, he is an angel sent from heaven "'to instruct this great city,' said another. "'For no man ever uttered truths so sublime before.' The good people of Ostermunsti were in perfect raptures with the preacher, who had thus sent them to hell by the slump, tag, rag, and bobtail. Nothing in the world delights a truly religious people so much as consigning them to eternal damnation. They wondered after the preacher. They crowded together and spoke of his sermon with admiration, and still, as they conversed, the wonder and the admiration increased so that honest Robin Ruthven's words would not be listened to. It was in vain that he told them he heard a raven speaking, and another raving answering him. The people laughed him to scorn, and kicked him out of their assemblies, as a one who spoke evil of dignities. And they called him a warlock, and a daft body, to think to mech language out to the crooping of craws the sublime preacher could not be heard of although all the country was sought for him even to the minutest corner of st johnston and dundee but as he had announced another sermon on the same text on a certain day all the inhabitants of that populous country far and near flocked to Munsty. koupar Newburgh, strathmiglo turned out men women and children Perth and Dundee gave their thousands, and from the east nook of Fife to the foot of the Grampian Hills, there was nothing but running and riding that morning to Otstermunstie. The kirk would not hold the thousandth part of them. A splendid tent was erected on the Brae north of the town, and round that the countless congregation assembled. When they were all waiting anxiously for the great preacher, behold, Robin Ruthven set up his head in the tent and warned his countrymen to beware of the doctrines they were about to hear, for he could prove to their satisfaction that they were all false and tended to their destruction. The whole multitude raised a cry of indignation against Robin and dragged him from the tent. The elders rebuking him and the multitude threatening to resort to stronger measures and though he told them a plain and unsophisticated tale of the Black Corbys, he was only derided. The great preacher appeared once more, and went through his two discourses with increased energy and approbation. All who heard him were amazed, and many of them went into fits, writhing and foaming in a state of the most horrid agitation robin ruthven sat on the outskirts of the great assembly listening with the rest and perceived what they in the height of their enthusiasm perceived not the ruinous tendency of the tenant so sublimely inculcated. robin kenned the voice of his friend the corby craw again and was sure he could not be wrong say when public worship was finished a the elders and uh, the gentry flocked about the great preacher as he stood on the green bray in the sight of the hail congregation, and a war alike anxious to pay him some mark of respect. Robin Ruthven came in among the thrang to try to effect what he had promised, and with the greatest readiness and simplicity just took bod o' the side o' the wide gown, and in sight of a present held it aside as high as the preacher's knee, and behold, there was a pair of cloven feet. The old thief was fairly catched in the very height of his proud conquest, and put down by an old carl. He could feign nay mare, but gnashing on a robin with his teeth, he darted into the air like a fiery dragon, and coozed the reed rainbow o'er the taps o' the Lomans. Ah, the old wives and weavers of Ostermunchty fell down flat, wee afright, and betook them to their prayers inch once again, for they saw the dreadful danger they had escaped and fray that day to this it is a hard matter to gar an Ostermunchty man listen to a sermon at all, and harder and still to gar him applaud ane for he thinks aye eh, that he sees the cloven foot peeping out fray aneath, unlike a sentence. Now this is a true story, my man," quoth the old wife, "and whenever you are doubtful of a man, take old Robin Ruthven's plan and look for the cloven foot, for it's a thing that winna wheel hide, and it appears whiles where an a-wanna think it. It will keek out fray underneath the parson's gown, the lawyer's wig, and the Cameronian's blue bonnet." But still there is a golden rule whereby to detect it. And that never, never fails. The old witch dinna give me the rule, and though I had heard tell it often and often, shame for me and I ken what it is. But ye will ken it well, and it would be near the war of the trial of some of your friends. Maybe. For they say there's a certain gentleman seen walking wi' your wiles, that, Wherever he sets his foot, the grass withers as again a war scoundrel we a hetin. His presence be about us What's the matter we you maister? Are you gone to take the calm o' the stomach again End of section twenty two